Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. I want to welcome you back. We're going to continue our series in James today. Uh, Together we've been on this journey. Uh, Maybe you've been well accustomed and along for the ride the whole time, or you're just joining us today. We're on a verse-by-verse journey through the book of James, and it's a very practical letter that pokes us and prods us in areas of our lives that, you know, we sometimes would just assume to leave alone. Uh, But James calls us out. And uh, today will be no different. Throughout our study, James is challenging us. He's challenging us to confirm our love for Jesus by the way we conduct ourselves, by our actions. His famous line throughout the letter is, faith without works is dead. And, And that shows up as a central theme. It's a central idea. And sometimes it's in the very forefront. And sometimes it's maybe a subtle undercurrent. But that idea of living faith, of acting out our faith and our love for Jesus is central. It's paramount to James and what he is teaching. Live like Jesus is the cry of the heart of James. And and I encourage you, if you would like to catch up on past week's messages, you can do that on our website at cotnaz.org. There's a tab where you can watch, listen, other sermons from here and our Harrisonburg campus as well as links to Esperanza Viva. But you can catch up there on where we've been. And just last week, I know it was kind of a snowy week, snowpocalypse was coming, and it's still out there, but uh, it was coming. I just invite you to go back and catch up. We looked last week specifically through the Gospel of Mark at just maybe some of the journey of transformation that took place in the life of James that we read in his letter. But today we're going to jump in and unpack a a saying that's kind of common. Uh, Some of you have certainly used this or experienced it, but a saying that says, you have not because you ask not. Has anyone ever heard that or had that said to them? Yeah, I've I've lived that too. Uh, I'll never forget one Sunday, I made mention in first service that I loved peanut butter pie and that I I really was hoping that somebody was going to bring it to a potluck dinner. Well, Lo and behold, my friend Chad comes walking in the door of after second service with a peanut butter pie that was to die for. Apparently, I had not because I had asked not. And so here's this idea that if we need something or we want something, we do not have it perhaps because we have not asked. And so we have this saying that may be, be common or a custom in our, our everyday language, but it's really coming from a deeper place in Scripture in the book of James, and, and it's talking about unfulfilled desires in our heart. And in fact, this really is one of the more serious matters that James takes up in his letter to the first century church. And before we dive in today to our text in chapter 4, I, I want to just spend a couple moments unpacking the tail end of chapter 3. It's been a few weeks since we got in good rhythm because of snow and different things, so I want to spend just a few moments unpacking the tail end of chapter 3. Uh, there, James unpacks for us wisdom. And more specifically, he's unpacking and helping us to see the fruits of wisdom 
in our lives. Wisdom is, is not just necessarily what you know. It's not how many multiplication tables or whether you can name all 50 states. It, it's more about how we live out what we know. So what I know to be true, does it change how I live? And so that's the thinking of wisdom. And James says our wisdom is sourced in one of two places. He only gives us two choices. Our wisdom, how we live, the lens we view our lives through, is either sourced by God, sourced of heaven, or it's sourced from hell. Now, I know and I understand how stern and how strong that sounds, but we want to be faithful to the Scriptures, and that's what James is challenging us with, that we're either sourced by God or we're sourced by demonic and worldly sensual wisdom. We're sourced in one of these two places. And the source of our lives, the fruit of the wisdom that we live our lives with, has immense impact, immense consequence, if you will, in our everyday lives. And not just today, but also the direction at which our lives are going. They will impact where we are in 10, 20, perhaps 30 years from this moment. The source of wisdom in our lives has immense impact and consequence. So as James has come out of chapter 3 and shown us how that changes our lives, how the source affects it, we're stepping into, and he's trying to get us to see where some disagreements, where some quarrels, where some fights and conflict may be coming from. He's stepping out of the source of wisdom and stepping into this idea of what's the source of conflict. Now, I'm assuming I'm not the only one in the room that would just as soon avoid conflict. Can I get an amen? But we're going to dive headlong into it because we want to be full and true to the scriptures as God has revealed. And so that's what James is helping us to see, to see the source of conflict in our life, to see maybe how our desires are bending or shaping the course of our everyday lives. And most importantly, I think he wants us to see a different way forward because it's easy to see the conflict, right? Like it's always here. But to see a different way forward is a movement and an invitation of grace. So let's dive into chapter 4 of James, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3 together. We're reading out of the NIV. James says, What causes, or he's asking a question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Finally, in verse 3, he says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Suddenly, what began as a funny saying that has a power to produce peanut butter pie in second service has turned into a look of deep matters of the heart, hasn't it? A little bit behind the curtain, a little deeper under the surface. Now, contextually, we know that James is writing to believers who are outside of Jerusalem. It's not too far outside, not too far beyond Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And in this time, to be a Christian was a very controversial thing. There was a lot of pressure on the believers that James is writing to. And we know that the church was comprised of so many different people from different walks of life. And it's really a melting pot might be our language today. And according to James and what we're reading here today, the many diversities of that church and the challenges of life in the first century boiled over into conflict and argument and disagreement within the readers there outside of Jerusalem. And so as we unpack today, we're going to see that it's a call to be honest. 
Honest, yes, but before others, but honest, yes, with ourselves and what's in our heart. And most importantly, to be honest before God. As we dive in, he's going to call us to examine perhaps what some of the cause of conflict, what some of the source material is of the arguments and disagreements that plague our lives. It's an opportunity to look in the mirror of truth and see a new way forward. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, um, we want to be true to your word, God. Uh, I don't enjoy conflict, but Lord, you're calling us. Your word is calling out for us to look into the mirror, the mirror of your truth, of your grace and your mercy. And Lord, you're desiring to help us to see and to live differently, to live relationally with you, God. And so today, as we unpack your scriptures, Lord, will you reveal and, and, and open to our hearts, Lord, your truth. Open to our hearts and help us to see a new way forward. Maybe, Lord, our past is plagued by quarrels and fighting and so many things, so many fallouts of disagreement, God, but will you help us today to see a new way forward? And, Lord, we know that's only by you. Because remember, Lord, you're the one that's holding it all together. So, Lord, today, help us to hold on to you. Help us to hold on to you. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to take a deep dive and just unpack some of the vocabulary and some of the ideas that James is putting forth here. So let's turn back and begin to journey through verse 1 together. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Can we just pause for a moment? Like the last verse of chapter 3 and verse 18, he's talking about a life lived sourced by God's wisdom and it produces peace and righteousness. Sounds great. Like that's how we want to live. But yet the first verse, the next question that he's calling us out on is presented with quarrels and conflict and difficulty. We've taken a big leap, if you will, in his argument and what he's doing here in this letter. As we unpack the vocabulary a little bit of what he was trying to say, the word for fights here is literally used of military campaigns, large-scale warfare. It's a battle. In quarrels there, it is literally armed combat or physical altercations, fistfights. Is what he's talking about. He's, he's calling us to see. And so within these two descriptors, we see James, he's trying to paint a portrait that encompasses big conflict that maybe is on a broad, huge scale, and also personal individual conflict within each reader that he is calling out to. Now, we don't know historically what exactly the confrontations were going on within the church or, or what James was doing, but it must have been significant enough that he felt the need to address it. Because he spends a pretty good portion of the time here unpacking quarrels and disagreements among the church and the readers of his letter. As he goes on, he asks the question, don't these fights come from your desires and battle within you? Isn't that the source of what's happening here? And desires here translates a word that we use called hedonism. And that's really an idea, a philosophy, if you will, that everything about life, every goal that we set for ourselves is to seek pleasure. It's to minimize pain. It's all about me. It's a self-focused view of the world. All about what feels good. What do I want? And he's saying, isn't that desire, that burn within you, isn't that the source of those disagreements and fights? And he's helping us to see that these desires, these things that are stirring within us are never stagnant. In fact, he says they wage war within us. They wage war within us. Now, 
I, I venture that I, I could show you this if I had one chocolate chip cookie. Not five, not a dozen, one. If I took one cookie down here to nursery neighborhood and and you walk in there with one cookie in a room where several kids are present, you're going to start to see the effect of desire and want, okay? If you hand this cookie to one of the individuals there in nursery neighborhood, one of the kids, the others are going to start to look at you with eyes to kill, okay? And once they realize they can't take you in a fight, they're going to turn to the poor soul that's got the cookie, aren't they? Now, I don't know how it's exactly going to play out, but I'm sure there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth and crying, and there's going to be a lot of screaming of mine. We're going to see that desire well up and come into a battle over a cookie. Now, we're going to laugh at our nursery neighborhood youngsters over this, but if we were honest, can we recognize a little bit? Are we that far removed from that tendency in our own life? Maybe not over chocolate chip cookies. Maybe it is. But maybe it's over other things. We sense that desire that we want what we want, and we want to have it preferably now. I mean, can we have 5G internet already like it's been long enough now? Deep down, we see this. We recognize this in our experience, in our flesh even. Forbes, uh, they, they conducted a study back in 2016. Uh, they, they, polled, they had over 700 respondents to a basic question. They, they asked a very simple question. They said, if you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? Now, for you, answer that right now in, in your own heart, in your own mind. Like, what, what's the one thing? What, what's that one thing I want? Bigger boat, you know? Diesel pickup, whatever, house, car, whatever. What's that thing? Happiness, joy. As 700 people responded, the, the first answer that people gave her, the most popular, it's not a shocker, but happiness. Happiness, the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness. One person noted that happiness has become harder to achieve and yet even harder to maintain. Don't we recognize that? That feeling that it's an elusive pursuit. That happiness lasts for such just a brief moment in time to where we need to pursue more. The second answer, again, comes as no shocker either, but money. I mean, come on, who doesn't stop to pick up Benjamin off the floor? I'm just saying. No, everybody stops to pick up 100 off the floor. But this idea that what would you want more of in life? More money. Because in our world, and in our context, we feel like money will buy things that make us happy. It may buy security. It may buy prosperity or things for the future, and so we pursue it. And yeah, I mean, money can solve some problems. We have to have it. But we can see the dangers when it starts to drive our lives, when it starts to shift our decision-making. It changes the trajectory of our everyday life. And the reality that we begin to see here as we unpack these realities is whether it's a, a cookie or crackers in preschool or, or money and happiness in adulthood, what has our focus affects how we live our life. What we're focused on, what we're paying attention to is stirring within us and it is guiding us whether we want to really lean into that reality or not. And James is saying here that, look, it's those desires, those motivations that's burning within us, that's causing the fights around us. Verse 2, he continues. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. It's like, wow, that escalated quickly, right? What we may just tend to shrug off is, you know, it's just the way things are. You know, 700 people answered the same way I answered. Like, what's the big deal? But James is saying, no, 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 no. Those things in your heart, it's going to do something. It's going to produce something in your life. And it's going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. That's the warning he's trying to get us to see here. The, the words for you desire there, in the original language, it's a present uh, active uh, notion to where it's not just a passing thought. It's not a once glance and done and on moved on. It's, it's what is consuming our minds. It's what we think about when we go to bed at night. It's what maybe motivates us when we wake up in the morning to go to work or do what's before us. So when we have a desire like that that is influencing every day of our lives, when that goes frustrated, when that goes unfulfilled, that tension, that boils over in our lives. And James is saying, look, that's, that's a large part of where you need to look for the source of conflict in your life. He says, you do not have, so you kill. So what, what happens is that a desire in our heart gets frustrated, and then it brings into murder into our world, and that's the impact of the lust that is in our lives, it's never a no harm, no foul event. It's always doing something. And I realize that we're only halfway through this, and it's some pretty strong words on behalf of James. But he goes on, and he, he's calling us to help see a different way. But he says, you covet and you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And this idea of covet here is, is a burning in your bones. It's a quiet, seething anger. It's a grit your teeth kind of frustration and anger. Now, we might mask that with a smile or polite conversation, because after all, we're in church, right? But yet we can recognize that boiling in our bones. And James is saying it's those places in our lives that are creating the wars around us. Warren Wearsby, when he's commenting on this text, he says it so profoundly and so simply. But he says, the wars among us are caused by the wars within us. The wars among us are caused by the wars within us. He goes on to say, we want to please ourselves even if it hurts somebody else. As we conclude this verse for a moment, can we just take a step back? Like it's, it's, he's rapid firing him. He's calling out some pretty deep and hard things. But can we just pull back for a moment and see how much self is in this text? How much self is in this text? So you think about it with me. I mean, he's saying your desires and your wants. You could, you could substitute that and say, my desires, my wants, the battles that are within me, I don't get what I want, so I kill, I quarrel and fight. Honestly, if we took self out of this text, there would be nothing left. There'd be nothing left. I remember years ago, I, I, somebody called me out on this. Somebody called me out on this. We were out to lunch. Uh, Miss Karen was there and a friend, Jane. Uh, and I don't remember why exactly we had gone out to lunch, but we were out at Jalapenos there on Port Road in Harrisonburg. And it, it was not too long after I was, I was trying to flesh out what this call to, of Jesus was, what God was calling me to in surrendering my life to him. And, 
and I was processing through all these things, and, and I was telling my story about what I was going to do, where I had come from, what my thoughts were, how I was going to do this, and how I was going to do that. And, and my friend Jane, she listened so patiently. She listened so quietly, taking it all in. And when I finally came to the end of everything that I was going to do and what way the Lord was going to take me, I, I remember her just sitting there so patiently and so quietly, and she looked right at me and she said, you know, there's an awful lot of you in that story. My memory of that day shuts off at that point. Because that thought captivated me. She called me out on something I wasn't even aware I was doing. But I, I was already shaping my future that God was calling me to, right? But I was shaping it the way I wanted it. And she said, no, 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 there's a lot of you in that. And I, I, that is frozen in my mind. And I'm sure she went on to share much more tales of wisdom from there. But all I can remember in that moment is her calling me out that I was focused on my desire even while I was trying to pursue what God was calling me to. What Jane did for me that day is a little bit like what James is trying to get us to see in this text. It's a warning. It's, it's about the dangers, about where our life is headed if we are focused on our desires. Even if we think we're doing it for the right reasons, if we're looking to ourselves, the direction of our lives is in danger. We're in danger of a life that follows our wants rather than God's. We're in danger of living a life that's given to happiness rather than the pursuit of holiness as God has called us. So as we close out verse 2 and verse 3, James is helping us to see maybe, maybe where we could do it differently, maybe where we've gone wrong in the past even. So let's pick back up in our text at the conclusion of verse 2, and we'll read to the balance of verse 3. He says, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What James has done here is, is he has put an end to all the arguments without taking up a single side other than God's. He doesn't take up the calls of this party or that party. He says, no, 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 no. Let's do it differently. Let's look at the calls of all of this that's boiling over in your bones and boiling over in your life. And, and he really unpacks two breakdowns for us. He helps us to see maybe two places, two sources of the frustration in our lives. The source of the fallout, if you will. It says, first, we fail to ask God. We fail to ask God. Now, already in his letter, he opens his letter in chapter 1 in a first handful of verses. He says, ask God for the wisdom that you need. Come before him and seek him. Ask him for what you need. He's already been there. He's already covered that. And the rest of the New Testament bears testimony. Ask God for what you need. Seek him first and all these things will be added on to you. You see those things, but yet we don't always ask first, do we? Like, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to gravitate towards what I can feel, what I can see, what I can lay my hands on. Like That's, that's generally first. What can I do? i got to hold it all together, remember? So in that, we embrace that struggle. We embrace those hard times, and we never, somehow we can get by with never asking God. We fail to ask God. We believe we, be, we can take care of it. Secondly, James says, we ask with wrong motives. We ask with wrong motives. 
in those moments, if we fail to ask God, it's going to just be a compounding problem. So maybe we've been holding it all together, and, and we finally break down and come before the Lord, and, and we're just asking him, hey, Lord, fix this mess that I mean, you know, help me deal with this thing. You know, we are asking to the Lord to help us do it our way. Boy, if I had a nickel for every one of those prayers. But we ask with wrong motives. We come to him asking him to help us achieve our desires rather than humbling ourselves before him, asking him to pause and just see, Lord, what do you want? What are you doing in this place of conflict? What are you doing in this fight, God? What's your redemptive course out of this? We fail to ask God and we ask God with the wrong motives. It's so easy, it's so subtle to get that mixed up. And we let our motives creep in there, even in our prayer life. James says we have not because we ask not. And even when we do ask, our motives can get in the way. So what's the alternative? <laughs> like we, we can all testify to this, right? Like there's no life here that has not been touched by some type of conflict or fallout. How do we do it different? I don't know about you, but I could do with a little less conflict, right? A little more peace. <laughs> what do we do different? If our natural bend is towards ourselves, which James has unpacked, it leads us to these things of quarrels and strife and fights, and we live in that fallout, and it is changing the trajectory of our life that where we end up in 20 or 30 years is, is not where God would have had us. How do we do it differently? And friends, I... This is going to seem so simplistic. It's almost too simple. But how we do this differently is that we ask God. We stop trying to do it ourselves. We look to Him rather than to the things that maybe are right in front of us. We ask Him and we trust Him. We ask Him. And we trust him. It may not be easy. But yes, friends, it is that simple. It's to shift our gaze from ourselves to that burn of, I got to hold this together. I got to do this. I've got to make my plans. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing in the middle of this? One of the really cool things about studying James is that you get to see Jesus, right? James's writing is littered with Jesus' teaching, and today's text is no different. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. This is midstream there in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching, and he's helping us to see the power in asking. He's helping us to see an alternative to self. Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For whoever asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If looking to ourselves and trying to hold it all together is the source of the fighting and the conflict and the contention that riddles our world and is responsible for the fallout around us and behind us, then looking to the God of the universe is a new way forward. 
looking to him as your source, as your overwhelming strength in your time of need. The portrait that Jesus is get us to see here is one of continual asking. It's not pray for 30 seconds and bounce back to doing it my way. No, it's living in a heart posture of obedience and seeking God the Father for everything. This is a place of relationship, not religion. This is a place of intimacy where constantly seeking to understand the heart of the Father. Looking to Him. Lord, what is the deal with this mess all around me? God, what's your plan forward? What's your plan forward? We see here in Jesus' teaching, in our asking, we're coming in humility. Because at some point, we just have to say, I can't hold it together. That's a big step, right? Because I, I like to think that I can do it, right? In our asking, there's an element of humility where we say, Lord, I, I'm in deep here. I'm in deep here. It's admitting our need for him continually. Continually. In our seeking, we're actively bringing all of those things before him. What's for breakfast today, Lord? Where are we going today? Who are we going to see at Walmart today, God? What are you up to in your kingdom today? What are you up to in your kingdom today? In our knocking, we're persevering in prayer. We remain committed to hear from him. It's a refusal if we don't hear anything to start back the way we came from, to start back doing it ourselves. The perseverance and knocking is to stay before the throne until he gives us the way forward. Even if it's the 587th time you've had to pray that same prayer for that same thing, there's an element of perseverance and trusting in who he is and that he is responding, he is moving in grace to answer you. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, our faith says, yes, he is faithful. He is moving. Friends, this type of prayer is not about form. It's not about function. It can be done in the shower, in the car, on the way through the checkout line. This type of prayer is an invitation to intimacy, constant communion, with the Heavenly Father, and prayer like that comes with a blessed promise that He is right there with us and that He answers us from a place of intimacy. Friends, it is that simple. That's how I want to close today. I don't want to overcomplicate this because Jesus simply said, ask, seek, knock. I'm going to add now. So we're going to conclude the service today, or this portion of the service rather. We're going to just conclude. The band's going to continue to play softly in the back. We've carved out time for you to just ask, seek, and knock. Whatever's on your heart. Whatever God's speaking with you today, whatever he's pointing to in your life, whatever you've been trying to hold together today, these moments are an opportunity, an extension of his grace to lay it down, to be free, to trust him, 
and to embrace him in intimacy. So I invite you to bow your heads. I, I, I invite you today, if you're, if you're earnest, would you change your posture? Nobody's going to call you out. Nobody's going to look at you about what you're doing because they're praying for themselves too. But I just invite you to change your posture, just to make it known before the Lord. Lord, I am coming. I'm asking, seeking, and I'm knocking. You can kneel at your chair. You can come up front. I'm going to take this side. I'm going to ask Pastor Terry to come over here. We'll be glad to join you in asking, seeking, and knocking now. But don't miss these couple moments. A vapor in all of eternity can make a difference in the trajectory of your life forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that, um, Lord, you love us enough to confront us with conflict. (laughs) Because, boy, I'd rather just leave it alone. But, God, through your servant James, you have called us out to see maybe what some of the motives are, what some of those underliers are, God. Help us to live in a place of intimacy with you. Lord, to bring all of it before your throne. All aspects of our lives are brought into the realm of our relationship with you. Even what we're going to get at Walmart today. Lord, we're asking, we're seeking, and we're knocking. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.